You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. Hey, hey, y'all. So we are going to start doing something periodically uh, a little different. Every so often, we are going to have an amazing person that is a part of our network, somebody that we appreciate, someone that we know is doing awesome things out here. They're going to come in and do a guest episode. Today is one of those examples. Today, you have the amazing Cher Hale of Ginkgo PR that is going to be gracing you with this goodness. So I know it's time. Let's get it going. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are walking somewhere in the wilderness and you know that to get to where you need to go, you have to walk west and you have your handy dandy compass to guide you. You start walking west, but after a while, you realize the terrain does not look like you thought it would. And when you reference your compass, you realize that you veered slightly off course. You are now walking northwest, but you think no matter, I will just get back on track. You walk a little further and you realize that nothing looks like you thought it would. (laughs) You check compass again and you realize you veered entirely off course somehow and you are now walking northeast. In this moment, you are disappointed, you are frustrated, and you are confused. And that is exactly how I felt when one of my clients, who I thought I had thoroughly vetted and who had thoroughly vetted me, asked me, what is DEI work? Now, I want to tell you how I responded, but first I want to introduce myself because I'm aware that my voice might not be familiar to loyal listeners of Pause on the Play. My name is Cher Hale, and I am the founder and director of Ginkgo Public Relations. Uh, My longtime friends, Erica and India, have asked me graciously to come on today's episode to explore a question that we've been talking about for years, which is how can I work with clients who are aligned to my values of DEI and who are actively doing their own DEI work? And they asked me specifically to publicly unpack this question because about four years ago, I made the decision to work exclusively with populations uh, who are Black Indigenous folks of color people who are neurodiverse, disabled, or queer. And if they did not belong to those populations, my requirement was that they are vocal and active in social justice work um, and that they are imperfect allies in their own right. 
In short, I wanted to work with people who were using their skill sets and their stories to bring about more equity and liberation, not only in our lifetime, but for generations to come. And I've done a lot of work to get to the point where my client roster does reflect that intention. But as I referenced earlier in my story, I have had multiple missteps, many moments of misalignment. So after I answered this client's question of what DEI was and picked my jaw up off of my desk, I had to take a moment of self-reflection and ask myself, how had I veered so far off course? Because this wasn't the first time this had happened. In fact, it was maybe the third or fourth time over a span of six to eight months that I had had moments of, wow, I thought this person was the right fit because of XYZ labels, but turns out I was wrong again. Why was I wrong so often is the question that I really had to ask myself. And it's a question I hope that we can explore in today's episode, right? So I want to discuss with you how I made this decision to work exclusively with these kinds of people telling these kinds of stories, how I hold and keep my boundaries when I get a client who I thought was the right fit, but turns out they're not, or when I get a client inquiry that isn't the right fit, how this has shifted my entire business model and the culture of my client roster, and how I support my own clients through their DEI journeys. But to understand all of that, we have to go back to why I made this decision. So before I was in PR, I was in marketing and I acted as a fractional CMO for solopreneurs. But I decided that marketing wasn't for me for many reasons and shifted over into PR, which was my original skill set. And when I did that, a lot of my clients came with me or referred their colleagues and friends to me. Even though business was going really well, I noticed that I was becoming more and more disenchanted with the work that I was doing. I noticed that was because I had been telling the same story ad nauseum. And when I took an assessment of my client roster, the reason why was clear to me. My clients were homogenous. They all looked the same and thought the same. They were all white, upper middle class, cisgender female life coaches. I had been telling the same story because all of my clients were telling the same story. Even though I had this awareness of why I was bored, I still didn't know what to do about it. So I stayed on the hamster wheel until my mother passed away at the age of 49 from a heart attack. And to help you understand the roots of this story, there are a few things that you should know about my mother. One, she was an immigrant from Taiwan and she was half black and half Taiwanese. And she looked far more black than she did Taiwanese, uh, which was difficult for her as a child and a teenager growing up in Taiwan. Two, she has been an artist my entire life. She could create someone's likeness from any medium onto a page or a canvas. 
and three in her 40s after I studied abroad in Italy and she came to visit me. She developed a deep passion for Italy and the Italian culture. And her love for art extended into the written word. And she began to write um, what became a series of erotic romance novels set in the Umbrian countryside in Italy. And throughout this writing process, uh, since English was not her first language, I often helped her to proofread the manuscript for grammar and for clarity. And we often had discussions about what the process of self-publishing and what it required to build a platform in order to sell books or to get recognition or to get noticed at all in such a saturated romance novel market. It was her dream to publish these novels, but she never got the chance to. And in the aftermath of her death, it became evident to me that I had the skill set to help her see that dream come to fruition, but I didn't have enough time to help her do that. Now, I'm not knocking myself. I spent hours on hours on hours proofreading this novel to a point of clarity and flow, but I didn't have enough time to help her see this dream come to reality, right? In so many of our lives, it comes down to time. And the grief of her death helped me reassess how I had been spending mine. So I shifted everything. (laughs) I changed the message and the mission of my business to work with people who were doing DEI work regardless of their identities. And I will be clear and honest with you, it was not a smooth or easy transition. And even though I believe that everyone does have a diversity story, like my previous client, Jennifer Brown, often says, it doesn't mean that I want to work with everyone. I want to work with people who are at a certain stage in their DEI journey, past awareness. They're doing the work. And so when I was trying to get clear about what it looked like for someone to do the work, The pieces of the puzzle came to me over time as I was making mistakes because this is how we learn. I often felt like I was stumbling around in the dark looking for the light switch with only a sliver of light from the window to guide me. I'll give you an example. I got a client inquiry from somebody that I had pitched who was a big name in their industry and I was honored and excited to talk with them. When I got on the phone and I mentioned a little bit of my background and my story, I asked them, what are you doing for DEI work within your business? And they didn't have an answer for me, but they were curious, which is always encouraging to me. So I explained, this is what it looks like, in my opinion, to be doing DEI work in some capacity. And after the call, I sent them resources to help them continue on this exploration to see, does it make sense for them? Do they care enough about DEI work to start doing it now? And ultimately, the answer was no, because I never heard back from them. And sometimes this happens. I find that a 
soft ask, right? What are you doing for DEI in your business right now? Is often the question that separates people from a fit in terms of platform size and credentials and authority, but not a fit for values. Sometimes that happens and I'm able to vet those people out without a problem. And sometimes it's not so black and white as I referenced in my earlier story, because that client had all of the clout and credibility that I want in a client who's also a person of color. But it came down to labels not being enough. I had to learn how to be more direct about the types of questions I ask during the vetting process to see, even if you're a fit with XYZ labels, are you a fit with how you're actively doing DEI work? because that ultimately matters more to me than the labels that you hold. But I had to learn that over time. Recently, I began working with a client who does not fit the qualifications of either, (laughs) either um, the labels that they hold or the identity that they carry and the DEI work that they're doing. And I really wrestled with whether or not I was compromising my own values or compromising my path or that I had veered off course again. I was going northeast when I was meant to be going west because I took on this client. But in our early conversations, it occurred to me that there was a different way to support my clients who aren't as aware on their DEI journeys by asking, again, simple questions. And in our deep dive, which I have with all of my clients at the initial phases of our work together. I asked, how does your work intersect with diversity, equity, and inclusion? And we had an interesting, engaging conversation about the intersection of their work with DEI. And I thought, even if they don't qualify as the kind of my ideal client, there's still important work to be done here. And what I'm not telling you, what I haven't told you yet, is that they had so much clout and credibility within their space, so much potential to make a big impact and have influence, that I knew that me working with them would trickle down to my clients who come from marginalized backgrounds, who could benefit from that enhanced platform size and credibility, all the connections that I was making as a result of working with this client. And also they are paying me really well. So I don't want you to think that it has to be a hard line. Um, We're going for people and we're people who are in relationship with other people. (laughs) And we're all going to experience those moments of nuance. So Just because someone might not look like a yes from the bat, I always encourage you to explore further. Another time, I began work with a client who seemed like the perfect fit, but I didn't realize later on that we weren't a fit for collaboration style, right? We didn't work well together. And when that happens, all you can do is try to adapt and communicate. And you just can't account for moments like that. They're going to happen and that's okay. But I have learned what to look for now after so many missteps and moments of misalignment. And here are a few of the things that I look for when I vet my clients. I look to see, have they done a land acknowledgement in their events or in their content? Are they acknowledging their privilege in their content? 
Are they using inclusive language or language that talks about systemic oppression in its many forms? Do they have a DEI statement on their website? Or in their podcast application forms, do they ask about DEI work? Do they post about social justice causes or issues on their social media platforms? Are they listing their values on their website? And within their content, if they have guests on, for example, um, maybe they run conferences or summits, a podcast, maybe a guest interview series, is there a diversity of both identity and perspective within that content? And finally, are they donating monetarily to other organizations or are they doing scholarships or mentorships at a sliding scale within their businesses and their programs? So those are some of the markers I look for when I'm vetting clients that I've learned over the years to look for. And just to bring it back to what I said earlier, I also ask those questions, right? What are you doing with DEI in your business? And that helps set people apart. Now, I also want to talk about how this decision affected my business, because as you can imagine, it was scary to change my entire business mission and message and model um, to accommodate this change. I will tell you that in the early stages, I phased my clients out slowly, right? So one client's agreement would end who was not an ideal client, and I would bring on someone who was to take their spot. I didn't fire all of my clients from the start and and go from zero, absolutely not. Um, I phased them in slowly. And I would say it took about a year and a half to really start attracting clients who were the perfect fit or who I thought were the perfect fit, who looked more like the perfect fit than the previous population (laughs) that I was previously attracting. What I realized, it, it didn't only shift the types of clients that I was getting, it also shifted my entire business model. Because as I became more entrenched in my own DEI work, I realized that my business model lacked accessibility which is a key value that I have and that I'm always working on. I still get it wrong. I am also an imperfect ally. I'm learning more every day. But I, I realized that accessibility was not present in my business model. And so the people that I wanted to serve often couldn't afford my services. So I shifted from doing retainer work which is like ongoing, usually for six or 12 months on a monthly basis where I'm like, I'm your done for you publicist. I shifted that work or I scaled it down so I could bring in um, a low cost subscription service or one off custom consultations. Those are how I bring in or how I work with the bulk of my ideal clients because they are so much more available to their budget and their time bandwidth. And I will tell you, in the midst of all of these changes, I also had my daughter and she is now almost two years old and that massively affected how I worked. So my time is even more limited than before. And I have to make hard decisions about people that I work with. And even recently, I've, I've gotten some incredible client inquiries of people who I have respected for years, but don't fit within the guidelines of my ideal client. And I've said no to them for many reasons, um, for time bandwidth or simply to tell them, I love what you're doing, but right now I'm focusing on this type of story or this population. 
here are some referrals that I have for you instead. And finally, I want to quickly discuss how I support my clients as I work with them. Because as you can imagine, there is a lot of risk here in telling diverse stories. Early on, I wouldn't say that I tokenized my clients, but I was always very aware of the risk of tokenizing them, right? Of saying like, this person is black and you don't have anyone who's black on your show, so you should have them on your show so that you can look inclusive. Um, That was never something that I wanted to do. And it took me a lot of finessing to figure out how to integrate my clients' identities and their diverse perspectives within their stories in a way that emphasized or supported their expertise. So it becomes um, a marker of credibility and uniqueness for them, as opposed to uh, lip service for inclusivity. Something else that I do is I try to place them in safe spaces. So early on, I get a feel for what they're ready for. Do they want to be subversive or do they want to share company with like-minded people? And at each stage in our work together, I check in to see how did that interview feel to you? When you brought up white settler colonialism, for example, how did the host respond? And through all of these questions, I'm trying to determine, do you feel like you were in a safe space? And if you didn't, how can I make sure that I book you on podcasts, conferences, summits, and editorials that make you feel safe? And finally, I always acknowledge my own limitations with support. I do not claim to be trauma-informed. I wouldn't even say that I am trauma-sensitive. I'm not a coach, and I can't lead anyone through a somatic practice. So when I realize that my client needs more support than I am qualified to offer, I will gently guide or direct them to the people that I trust in the hopes that that is what will be next for them, that will be most supportive for them for the next stage in their visibility journeys. I hope this was helpful. If you have questions for me about maybe tricky issues that you're having with clients who you thought were an ideal client, or you want to be attracting more of your ideal client, please, please, please feel free to reach out to me. You can find me at ginkgopr.com. That's G-I-N-K-G-O-P-R.com. And you can email me at share at ginkgopr.com as well. I so look forward to connecting with you and hearing from you. And I want to thank India and Erica for allowing me to share this space with all of you uh, while on Coeur d'Alene land in this area where I live in Spokane, Washington. So appreciate all of you sending you so, so much love. And I will talk to you all of you soon. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. 
This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?